you are going to die. I'm sorry if no one has told you that before, uh, and hopefully it will not be anytime soon, but death will eventually happen to all of us. And so I want to begin this morning by acknowledging that you are going to die. And when that time comes, God wants you to die well. He wants your death to be a testimony. And that's what we're talking about today. Last week, Pastor Ben did an excellent job talking about how dying well can be a gift to God's people. Today, I want to focus more on how our death is in relation to God and how dying well can be a light to others and a testimony to his goodness. I'm going to talk this morning about a few of our church family as they approached death. I want to give a word about that here at the beginning. It has been an honor and a privilege to be with the families of several members of our community as they have died. As I share these stories of certain people approaching that time admirably, I hope it does not imply any lack of respect for them. These are holy moments, and I truly do believe that God wants our death to be a testimony. My hope today is to share a few of those testimonies with you. Also, two more things before we dive in. As Pastor Ben mentioned last week, a global pandemic might seem like an odd time to talk about death. Sorry about that. We also had a dear sister step into glory this week. It might seem like we should have postponed. But when we first talked about these sermons over a year ago, we did end up postponing them because of things that were happening in our church family. As we came upon our Lent series this year, we made the decision that regardless of what was happening in our, fa- our church family or in our community, we were going to have these sermons. Now, we, ha- we did not know at that time just what kind of a situation we would be in, but I hope we would have made the same decision. We do want you to know, though, that this was not something we decided to do because of current events. It's something we decided to do in spite of current events. And second... Many of you know that I am a big fan of church history. Um, A few months ago, I offered a sermon that had been preached by a church father on on Christians and money. Well, one of my heroes, Cyprian of Carthage, a bishop in the third century, wrote a letter called On Mortality. Now, he's one of the most important figures of the early church, and he wrote with a faithful authority during a time of plague that eventually resulted in his martyrdom. While he says certain things differently than we would, I found reading his letter very profitable. If you would like to think more about this and you have a bit of extra time, I'm not sure if you have a bit of extra time or not, uh, let me know and I'll be glad to email you the letter. So today is Palm Sunday. Our passages this morning are going to be coming from the end of the Gospels, most specifically or, or mostly from Mark 15 which is a full five chapters after the story of the triumphal entry that we remember on Palm Sunday. Now, the reason for this is because in our series, this was the time we took to talk about death. And of course, that means talking about Jesus' death. That's why we're not in a Palm Sunday passage this morning. But there is something interesting about looking at Palm Sunday in light of Jesus' death. Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus arrived in Jerusalem as a king. 
He rode in on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy. The people were shouting Hosanna, or Savior. I imagine that this moment was one of the high points in Jesus' life. It certainly seems to have been a high point in his ministry. At no other time did things seem to be going quite as right as they are as Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem and the people come before him and shout, Savior. But it didn't last. In the book of Mark, it only takes us five chapters to go from the people shouting praise as Jesus enters the city to the same people shouting, crucify him, one week later at his trial before Pilate. Now, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, I think he already knew about his imminent death. But it is striking how soon that death came after this high point. Death is like that. It can be at times we do not expect. It can surprise us. We all tend to assume that we'll have all the time in the world to prepare ourselves, especially in our highest moments. We think that death is far away from us. But we can see in this story that that isn't the case. Jesus' greatest moment of his ministry was one week before his death. There is no telling when our time will be, and we do not want to wait until it's imminent to start preparing. We should prepare ourselves now so that when our trial comes and when our death is imminent, we will have already prepared ourselves for it. And I think that if we do that, if we prepare ourselves in advance, then we will be able to let God use our death, as Pastor Ben said, as a gift to God's people, as a testimony to his goodness. And we'll be able to go to meet our Lord with joy, and perhaps even without fear. So the first thing I want to say this morning, I've already said it a few times, but it's this. God wants to use your death as a testimony. As a Christian, you are called to live in such a way that at your death, your loved ones will grieve their temporary separation from you, but will have no doubt or fear that they will be reunited with you. I've been privileged to be with several people at or near their deaths when God was able to give a powerful testimony of who he is through them. I know I've told this story before, but it made a big impression on me, and I'd like to share it again. I believe it was 2011. It might have been 2012. Our intern at the time, Ben Klaus, he and I went to Washington Christian Village because we'd heard that Vern Strubar was not doing well. Now, many of you will remember Vern Strubar. Others did not have the privilege of meeting him. But he was a wonderful, faithful, and inspiring person. And I remember going to see him, and it was obvious that he was not himself and that he was not fully aware. And as we stood above him as he lay on the bed, and told him that we wanted to pray for him that didn't quite register. He was a little confused about who we were and why we were there. And in that moment, what bubbled up and came out of him was concern for us. He didn't know exactly who we were, but he wanted to make sure that we had food. He asked us if we needed a place to stay. 
there is anything he could do for us. And in that moment, I was struck by the irony of being there to pray for a person who was at death's door and being asked by that person if there was anything they could do for me. It made a strong impression. Now, I remember thinking, Lord, please let me live in such a way that when I'm near the end, my mind is unaware of what's happening that what comes out of me is a concern for the people around me, a desire to serve, and by serving, to worship and glorify you. In that moment, Vern Strubar's approaching death was a testimony to God's goodness. Now, this isn't the only way for God to use your death as a testimony or a gift for God's people. There are a lot of ways that can happen, and I want to talk to you a bit about how you can go about preparing for that. And the first one is this. Don't wait to set your priorities right. Don't wait to set your priorities right. It might seem strange to think about it this way, but the, the fact that you will die one day is a gift. As our lives stand now, we live on this world for a little while, and then we fall asleep. And when we awake, we who belong to Jesus awake to an eternal life in worship and joyful fellowship with him. I think that if that was not true, if we lived forever, then the hardships that we suffer here would lose their meaning. Since we know that one day, when this life is over, we will stand before the judgment seat of the Lord our struggles in this life become something else. They become battles, opportunities to strengthen our faith. Now you might think that death is a curse in Genesis 3, and it certainly is. That story talks about the spiritual death that mankind takes on by rebelling against God. I believe that the fact that our bodies wear out here is a gift from God. Every human being is afraid of death. But for us who belong to the Lord, there's a promise that death is not an end. That's why we can talk, talk about it as though it's falling asleep. It's not an end. It's a transition. A move from one life to the next. And as our faith becomes stronger, the fear of death that is common to every person begins to lose its grip on us. And more, as we wrestle with death itself, we're offered the chance again and again to trust in the Lord who sustains us, the Lord who saves us, the Lord who rescues us from death itself and brings us with him into an eternal joy, a forever happiness. The fact that we will die is something that we have to accept. And if we can accept it, then it can make our priorities crystal Clear. It will no longer make sense to give our lives over to the accumulation of things that we cannot take with us or keep when we die. Instead, we live in hope and believe in God and trust that Christ suffered for us and rose again. We abide in him and we trust that through him and in him we will rise again in glory that our death will not be an ending. It will be a passage into eternity. 
if we take that kind of an attitude about our death, it will allow us to set our priorities in order. I remember the day when my dad accepted Christ. He was sick, and he knew that his death was not too far away. And that had caused him to evaluate his life in a way that he never had before. And I remember the same day that he accepted the Lord, one of the things that he said to me was that he didn't want to die having any bad blood with anyone. He wanted people to know that he forgave him and hoped that they forgave him. In other words, all of these other concerns that he had had up to that point, all these things that he had carried with him in his life, the the arguments or frustrations or even conflicts that he'd been in, lost their meaning in light of his death. And what mattered was forgiveness. It made his priorities crystal clear. I remember thinking in that moment, as my dad told me that he wished he would have thought to do this or feel this way or live this way a long time ago. And he hoped that if he weren't dying, he'd still be making this commitment. I thought of Romans 14.8, where the Apostle Paul says this, If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So that whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. In other words, living in light of our death means that we can look at our life with a different lens or focus. And we can set our priorities the way the Lord would have us do. So there's a couple of ways I want to talk about how you can do that, how you can set your priorities right. The first one is this. Make your faith an active one now. The most important job you will ever have is the care of your own soul. No other calling, no other role, no other job you will ever have is as important as that one, the care of your own soul. If you've been living in a way where you have neglected this, where your faith has not been an active one, where it's been an afterthought, where you've had your life and you've added a little bit of Jesus to it, if you've avoided giving your heart and spirit and life to him fully, let that go now. Remember, there will be a day when you're no longer here. What matters is not all the concerns of this world. What matters most is Him. And if you do that, when you accept Him as Lord and Savior, and we receive His Holy Spirit, then things start to change within us. We start to become the person He always meant us to be. Don't put that off for the future. Because you honestly don't know how many days you have left. And the person will be in heaven. The promise of life that we have with him in heaven. By the power of his spirit, he tells us we can start becoming that person now. That's incredible. The most important calling you have, the highest calling you have, is the care of your own soul. Make your faith an active one now. Don't neglect it for one more minute. And second, become a forgiver. 
forgive and ask for forgiveness in turn. There is no more holy task for us than this. Someone that people know will forgive them when they make a mistake, or someone that people know will come to them and ask for forgiveness when they have made a mistake. It's a humbling task. It helps us in this, this, this journey or this desire to make our faith active, to care for our own soul, become a person known as a forgiver. I know that those conversations can be uncomfortable. If there's anyone, though, that you have borne ill will toward, remember, we don't know how many days we have left. Do not wait, assuming that there is so much time in the future to one day be able to reconcile. Become a forgiver. Now, forgiveness does not mean that you, you, you have to have a warm feeling about that person again. Forgiveness is different than that. That kind of warmth that, that a lot of times we think means forgiveness is not really possible when someone has actually given you a reason to need to forgive them. It's easy to do with small things. It's difficult to do when truly you've been harmed. Forgiveness is about deciding that that person has the same value that they did before. A commitment to realize that they are a human being beloved by their creator. To remember that you are not better or higher or more of a beloved son or daughter of God than they are. That they also hold all of that value, the same value they had before. Forgiveness is a commitment on your part to see the other person as they truly are. That doesn't mean that you let go of the possibility of, of holding them to account. That doesn't mean that you've, you've decided to let go of any kind of repercussions that might come. It does mean, though, that any kind of petty desire to be higher or better or separate from them needs to go. We accept them, see them as a child of God. That's what forgiveness is. And it's hard when you have something to forgive. Become a forgiver now. And as you make that habit in your heart, you'll find that it becomes easier with time. Once you've learned to forgive small things, it will be easier to forgive bigger and once you've learned to forgive big things, it will be easier to forgive the biggest. But do remember that one day you will stand before a Lord who has forgiven you all and wants you to forgive others in turn. How do you set your priorities in order? Make your faith an active one and become a person who is known by forgiveness. So that's how you set your priorities in order. But what do you do when death does come for you. I think it's unlikely that, or I think it is likely, that we'll weather this current pandemic without losing anyone in our church family to it. But I don't know that. We live in a time when there is a danger to all of us, and whether it's because of COVID-19 or something else, you may find yourself in the position of confronting death. In fact, if the Lord delays, all of us will eventually be in that position. So what do you do? 
I think that it's normal for us to wrestle with wanting to ask, why me? When a person is sick and knows that this sickness is going to result in their death, I think it's normal for a person to ask, why me? When for whatever reason a person has to confront their death, I think it's normal for them to ask, why me? Especially as they look aside to other people who perhaps do not have as close a relationship with the Lord as they do, or people who are older and somehow healthier, and ask in frustration, why me? I don't think it's bad for you to ask that question. I'd encourage for you to listen. But I think that one of the things we have to accept, truly accept, that's difficult for us, is that if we are all going to die, then when that time comes, what we've been given is an opportunity. An opportunity to die well and to give a unique and powerful testimony for the Lord. I don't know that you can come to that in the moment. I think that's a decision you have to make beforehand, a preparation in your heart you have to make that when that time comes, you will see it as an opportunity and a testimony to the goodness of God. It's okay to ask why me, but do not let it bog you down. Do not let it embitter you or turn you away from the Lord. Because we have a promise that at the end of this life comes something so very much better. For Christians, the death is not an end. It's a transition, a passage. The second thing I want to encourage you to do when death comes for you is not to isolate yourself from your family. Do not isolate yourself from your family. Some people seem to have this instinct and others do not. I'm not going to tell anyone about what's going on. I don't want anyone to worry. Hear me. Please, I have not seen that turn out to actually be helpful yet. Usually what happens is the family is hurt that they've lost the time. Do not let yourself isolate. Any idea that if you isolate yourself, then the, the, the impact of your death will not hit your family or friends as hard is wrong. Be open. Be willing to be vulnerable. Ask for help if you need it. But when that time comes for you, do not isolate yourself. One thing that's interesting, and I wrestled with this because I hear this, I'd say, probably a few times a week. When I ask people if we can be praying for them, if we can put them on the prayer sheet, the most common response I get, whether it's an issue that might result in this person's passing or, or not, but the most common result I get is, no, in some form of, I don't want to, to have people pay attention to me. I don't, want to, I don't want to take their mind off of other things or people that have it worse. And I hear the humility of that. I really do. I think it's a humble thing. But the, the practice of vulnerability, a willingness to share the burdens you're carrying with your church family, is a good and healthy thing. And practicing that in smaller matters will make it easier to do in bigger matters. 
Now, yes, you have a right to privacy, and no, I'm not shaming you if you want to keep something private, but I do want to encourage you to be willing to practice openness and vulnerability as you go through a time where you're approaching death. The third thing to do when death comes for you is to follow the example of Jesus. Even in the midst of terrible suffering, we see that Jesus forgives. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 23, verse 34, as Jesus is being crucified, he's been tortured, he's carried his cross an incredibly long way. He's experiencing a pain and a misery, I think I can say confidently, worse than any that anyone is listening to this has ever experienced. And then, on top of all of it, he's enduring being mocked by the soldiers around him. They're making jokes, laughing at his expense in the midst of his terrible, excruciating suffering. The only words he speaks about his torturers are in Luke 23, 34. He says this, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Live a life of forgiveness, and then even when you're afraid, even when it's hard, forgiveness is what will come from you. Yes, that is the Lord. Yes, He's capable of things you and I are not, but we do have His Spirit. He is able to change and work in and through us, and I believe that we can be forgivers as he was, even in our hardest and lowest times. Follow the example of Jesus, even in suffering, forgive. And then also this, even in his fear, he trusted the Lord. Mark 15, verses 33 to 37 say this, At noon, darkness came over the whole land, until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lamas baktani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. He was truly afraid. Him crying out and asking, why have you forsaken me? There's a lot going on there, and we don't have time to dive into all of it, but I do want you to hear this. The Lord of the universe, the creator and sustainer, our God and Savior in human form, a man on a cross, tortured and in pain, he was afraid. It's okay if you're facing death. It's okay to be afraid. What we need to do is to ask for the Lord's help we need to ask him, even in our fear, to help us to trust in him. Again, in the Gospel of Luke, 
we hear that the last words Jesus spoke before he breathed his last, before he passed, were this, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Even though he was in pain, suffering and afraid, still his last words were words of trust in the Lord. Let Jesus' death be an example for us to prepare our hearts to be able to trust in him, to forgive those we need to forgive, even in our last and hardest moments. Because the death of Jesus makes it possible for our deaths to be a testimony. Because we are people who have the Holy Spirit. Because we're people who belong to Him. Because we know that on the other side of our death is life and life eternal. We can face it in such a way that our death is a testimony to God. And also a gift. Another person I was thinking about as I was writing this sermon was Mabel Weaver. Many of you knew Mabel. She was an incredible person. And I remember going to visit her in the home shortly before she died. And we knew that her death was coming soon. But she was still able to speak, still able to share the time with Pastor Ben and I. We asked her, What's the first thing you want to do when he takes you? She said, I want to put my arms around him and hold him. And I want to see my family. I'm the last one, so they're all waiting on me. But I cannot wait to see Jesus. It was so powerful a moment as soon as we left, I wrote it down. Let the Lord work in you to become a person that in those moments when facing your death, you're able to say that what you want most is to see him. And that way, death can become a gift. Your death can be a testimony but it can also be a gift to you. Now I know that we're living in strange and difficult times. I know that perhaps what you don't need is to spend your days dwelling on death. I know that perhaps you're feeling anxious, perhaps depressed, perhaps thoughts of death are unwelcome. If that's the case, that's okay. You don't need to begin this process now. But hear me, this is important. If we can accept that one day we will die, that one day our days on this planet will be over, it will help us to view our life much more clearly, to be able to see our priorities as they should be, to put our relationship and connection to the Lord first and foremost, and to begin to live anew with a, with a desire to make our lives and deaths testimonies to his goodness. My hope is that all of us can begin this journey, this process, this different way of thinking about death together. Please pray with me. 
Father God, we come before you. Lord, and we do say thank you. We say thank you because of the hope that we have in you. That, Lord, our death is not an end. But that even as our life comes to an end here, we have Easter. The promise of resurrection and life eternal with you. Joyful, healthy, and whole. Forever with you. Reconnected with our loved ones. In eternity. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to keep that perspective, to see our lives in light of our death, to see our death as an opportunity for testimony and as a gift. We thank you, Lord. Pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.